everyone. You are listening to Developer's Journey, the podcast shining lights on the life of software developers from all over the world. Thank you for joining. We're today live from the DWX conference in Nuremberg in Germany. And today I have Daniel Machbach with me. Did I uh, butcher your name? Almost. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's, uh, it's Marbach. It's a uh, Swiss name. Yeah. Swiss name. Say it again. Marbach. Oh, God. I cannot yeah. say that. <laughs> I've been in Germany for 10 years, but still. <laughs> so, well, Daniel, happy happy uh, having you here. Um, we met a few months ago at the uh, .NET Cologne conference yes. for the first time, uh, where you held um, a very interesting talk about um, the remote work at your, the company you're currently working for. Maybe we'll, we'll speak about that during the, during the interview. Um, but first, let's, let's backtrack a bit. Um, I would love to start the program with, uh, with speaking about, about you, where you come from, um, what the milestones in your life and your developer's journey were so that you ended up being here today and, and spoke at the conference we're, we're at. Okay, so well, first of all, a little bit of, about my my life, uh, about myself. I live in Lucerne, in central Switzerland. I have a little son; he's four and a half years old, and uh, I have a wife. And well, from from another private life perspective, I do uh, fitness training. I used to play a lot of handball, but I stopped that mm-hmm. due to university reasons and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm a what can you say? I'm I'm a software engineer, I would say so, but also sometimes a solution architect. Uh, during my professional life, I wear different hats depending on whatever is required. I, I tend to go from very deep into like technological stacks, uh, like async await, one of the, one of the topics I'm pretty well known for, up to like design and architecture components and also speaking activities. Yeah, whatever, whatever. It is required and I love speaking activities and stuff like that. But let's backtrack a little bit to where, how did I end up being a software engineer? Um, well, it was, uh, I remember my, my father was working for uh, the Swiss military, um, basically, and he, he found a, a licensed copy of Borland Delphi <laughs> Enterprise at mm-hmm. that point and it was no longer being used because the project got decommissioned. So he, he brought it, uh, back, back to me. And, uh, I think it was, was fourth grade primary school at that point in time. And, uh, he also bought on his way home. He bought a, uh, basically a book that explains object Pascal and all mm-hmm. that stuff. And, uh, while I started filling around, uh, he gave me some introductions and I started doing this, these, uh, Let's see, let's call it in quotes because I don't remember the name, WinForms win applications. Mm-hmm. So calculators and stuff. And yeah, that got me really hooked into the whole programming stuff. And I always had this dream of becoming a programmer. And, uh, I also, I, I thought at that point in time, one of the best way to basically become a software engineer is that I would like to attend the ETH in Zurich. Uh, well, it's a really well-known university. Um, ETH Zurich. There's one in Lausanne. Okay. Um, uh, there is one in Zurich. So it was always my dream to go, to go there. And I started studying software engineering at ETH Zurich. And, uh, well, interestingly, I think that, that really shaped, uh, my life, my current professional life because I actually failed. So in my, well, it was this dream. I, every time someone told me, what are you going to do during gymnasium? I said, well, I'm going to be studying at university in Zurich at ETH. And 
I, I was doing the first year. I, I traveled from Lucerne to Zurich and studied there, went back. And I, at one point I decided, actually, I don't like it. It's not my, my, my type of thing because it was too much theory from my standpoint. I'm more a practical learner. So, and, but my friends convinced me to basically do the exams and everything. And during the exams I was preparing, I already had like two exams, which didn't really work out that well. During the exams, I was studying uh, at home. I was still living at home. And my, my mom came, came into my room and she said, like, um, I, have to, I have to talk to you. I have to give you some feedback. And uh, I think you completely changed in the recent months. And I feel that you're no longer really uh, happy and that you're not doing yourself a favor by basically sticking to this pre-made dream because I feel it's not something that makes you happy and it's not something that you should be, uh, it's worth pursuing for, mm -hmm. for your life. And it's interesting that I actually knew it for the whole time, but it didn't really jump into my mind, right? Because I was mm -hmm. thinking, I have to do it. It was always my dream. But my mom basically brought it up to, to, to daylight and, and I realized I have to do something and I actually quit at the ETH, uh, I basically said, well, I'm just going to sit into the exams, but I don't care about the actual marks that I will get. Mm -hmm. So I quit there and I went to another university um, in Switzerland, which gave me a, it was still software engineering, but it gave me much better practical entry point into software engineering, mm -hmm. which um, I think made me much more successful. And one of the biggest learning I took away from there, it's, that it never came to my mind that I could actually fail because everything went so good in my life until that point. Mm -hmm. And then I realized, well, there are moments in your life where apparently it's not the right moment, you're, you don't have the right skills or whatever, that you have to realize that you're on the wrong path and then basically say, okay, I came to, to this point, I'm going to stop it. And there will be other opportunities where I can shine. Mm -hmm. So I, yeah, that's what was for me one of the most humbling, but also still one of the best moments in my life, which I think really shaped my professional mm -hmm. being. Uh, that's really strong that your mom was able to, uh, to, uh, to yeah, tell you that. I'm, I'm really grateful, uh, for that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So this was, um, your start in software engineering and, uh, you graduated from, from this, um, second university. Yes. And yeah. went on with your career? Yes. So I started working for a company called BB Software Services in Switzerland as a junior software engineer. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I was doing primarily compact framework stuff and mobile development. But then I stumbled basically by accidents into backend systems and stuff. And um, while I grew there in, in the company, there I had the opportunity for seven years to basically grow from a junior engineer to senior engineer, they gave me opportunities to become an architect. And what was also cool is they realized they, they need some kind of educational programs for the 70 or 90.net engineers we had at that time. And they gave me the opportunity to become, uh, how, how do you call that? Maybe some, I was a, a thought leader mm -hmm. for junior and senior engineers mm -hmm. in terms of technology and uh, programming paradigms and stuff like that yeah. together with someone else. They called been me. doing some coaching, some coaching, trainings, trainings and, training. and preparing training material, mm -hmm. uh, cool stuff like that. Yeah. Cool. Uh, is this, uh, oh, 
maybe uh, put another way. Um, how did you go from being a junior to a senior in this company? Yeah, that's Is there something particular in this um, in this regard. Well, I I mean, you know it probably as well. I mean, parts of it, if you're doing contracting work for customer, parts of it is just what is written on your business card, right? Mm -hmm. That's totally <laughs> not the same that you actually are from a skills <laughs> and experience perspective. I see you. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I would say for me, uh, one of the, at least from my own personal experience, one of the key learnings was that I, I got more and more into designs and components. So mm -hmm. I, I basically started with doing some little stuff, little changes in the code to much more like, oh, we have this challenge here with this framework. It has to tie into the application. Could you look into that? I started mm -hmm. doing analysis and expanding my knowledge from, from components to intercomponent communication. Mm -hmm. So that, that was basically the tipping point where I would say I became a senior mm -hmm. engineer. Okay, yeah. Not just on your business card, but also. Yeah, exactly. Because you're able yeah. to grasp and yeah. So going from a, from the single responsibility to a multi-responsibility. Exactly. A systemic approach. Yeah. Uh -huh. And one of the, um, I, at some point I, I, I stumbled over uh, the advanced distributed systems design course from Udi Dahan. Mm -hmm. And I convinced my, my boss at that time that that would be uh, a nice thing to do because, uh, because I felt it's a nice addition to basically stumble into more architecture, but especially distributed systems architecture mm -hmm. paradigms. And I went there with one of my workmates to London and it was five days course and it changed a lot of my thinking around systems, fallacies of distributed computing and stuff like that. And that was the first time when I met Uri Dahan in person, mm -hmm. when I, where I got into uh, N-Service Bus. And that was the basically one of the door openers mm -hmm. that allowed me to work now for the company of Uri Dahan, particular software. Mm -hmm. Because at that point in time, I started seeing the benefits of queuing uh, for distributed systems. I started using N-Service Bus in my free time and building open source libraries on top of it. Mm -hmm. And... Um, Yeah, I started contributing back in my free time to open source. And this got me somehow known over, oh, this was just this guy I met at the course mm -hmm. to there is someone regularly contributing from Switzerland and adding value to the product and giving feedback to until I quit at BB Software Services and started working for working for Udi Dahan, mm -hmm. and, and you're still there now. Right? Yes, I'm still there. I, I now work uh, for two, almost two and a half years for particular software. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's basically my my career path until now. <laughs> cool. And now you're um, doing what you described at the beginning: so software engineering, solution architect, um, thought leader, uh, evangelist, um, kind of a man of all trade. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I like being. I like having multiple challenges. It's, um, well, there is always this, this kind of fine balance between doing too many things at the same time and being too thinly sliced mm -hmm. versus being extremely focused. And I try to basically have periods where I'm really focused on something. And sometimes I'm in this transition period where I do three or four things at the same time. Mm -hmm. Uh, to basically expand into different areas and to see what is the next thing I'm 
I would like to focus on. Mm -hmm. yeah. How big is the company, particular? Well, we're currently 42-ish people okay. around the globe, working in potentially 10 to 11 time zones. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, it's it's cool, but it's also challenging at the same time. Are you, are you all of you are remote? Or do you have an office somewhere with multiple people there? No, everyone is remote. Everyone yeah. is remote. And I think that's one of the uh, the key success factors of uh, the company. I mean, there, I mean, a lot of companies essentially say we are we are a remote friendly company, right? But that means usually they have some kind of headquarter where, let's say, 40-50% or whatever percent, percentage of people actually work there, and there there is this the other people, right? Mm -hmm. So us versus them. Mm -hmm. And in particular, the whole, um, it's basically in the genes of the company that everyone is remote. So when I want to talk to, to, to Udi, uh, well, I have to set up a call. I have to get an invite in his, in his calendar and we share a Zoom, Zoom session, which is the tool we use for remote communication. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And I think that's, that's a big success because there is no us versus them kind of philosophy. Mm -hmm. Um, but you could have this with a with a fully uh, non-remote, fully located uh, one place uh, company. Uh, In which regard is this uh, for you uh, um, a bonus or um, your um, your key uh, key success factor, as you said? Okay. Well, well, I think I have to highlight here that um, there are, there are two approaches. One is the sorry, no, there are two aspects there. One is the company aspect. Why does it make sense to have remote? workers. So from a company perspective, we are building a service bus messaging infrastructure that is in mission critical systems around the globe for over a thousand customers. And mission critical means whenever, when something comes to a halt, and even if it's not our fault, people want to be able to pick up the phone and call someone and have, uh, have support, right? Even if it turns out it wasn't our fault, hopefully. <laughs> So, uh, and I mean, Udi realized when he founded the company, you cannot do that with a traditional concept. It's, you have to have people in different time zones because I mean, if I would be doing all the support in my time zone, I would need to stay up late mm -hmm. or I would receive calls in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. So from that perspective, it makes sense. From my own personal perspective, I must say that I really like, um, what I call being able to keep up with my work wife, wife balance, mm -hmm. because, uh, I mean, I can arrange, uh, my life around or yeah, my life and my work together in a meaningful way so that I can still give a lot of value back to the company, but I also can give a lot of value back to my family. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, there is this expression in English where, where sometimes, sometimes fit, Shits the hits the hits the shan, and um, yeah, I mean stuff like that can happen. It happened to to my family as as well. My my wife has a had a serious back problem. Had to do a, a huge surgery that was last year, and in that time, I was basically able to reduce a little bit my work, or to, mm -hmm. for example, take care of my son during the day, work a little bit in the night, or shift dynamically. Mm -hmm. my working hours. And mm -hmm. I think that would be much more difficult with a traditional organized company. And then it's good that you don't have a, don't have a, um, a how do you call that? Um, way to work and uh, going one hour to, uh, to your work, uh, commuting, commuting, you commute, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Well, that's cool. Um, 
is there is there um, uh, a mandatory profile for software engineers um, that can work remotely in an effect, effective way, or can anybody do that? Hmm, that's a really good question. I think I can only speak from my personal experience. I cannot really generalize that, but I think from when I reflect on myself, I, I can say that I have a natural tendency. That if I'm stuck somewhere in some kind of problem, I reach out for help mm -hmm. always because I know where my limits are. Like I, like I explained in the beginning, I failed in my life and this was not the only time I failed. And I know that sometimes when you fail, there, it's, it's not always your fault, but, and sometimes you need, you need someone that helps you to get out of whatever happened. Mm -hmm. And that the same applies for software engineering. And I try to not basically being stuck too long in something as soon as then, then I reach out. And that's independent for me from being co-located or being a remote work. But I think for remote working is much more important because it's, it's because it's so easy to just be in your office, be at your home on a problem. And then time just flies by and no, nobody ever walks by your desk and says, mm -hmm. Hey, Tim. What's up? Are you currently stuck? You look like you're really deep in something and you cannot get out of it, right? Mm -hmm. That will not really happen. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a crucial skill that you reach out for help. You're being uh, like humble about your, yourself and your skills. And yeah, probably that's, that's the most important part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How can one learn that? <laughs> that's a good question. Wow. I think learning is, I think you have to, I think it goes a little bit into the topic of uh, mentoring, right? I think uh, when a, in my company, what we have, we have a con, uh, sorry, in the company, particular software, we have the, the concept of mentoring. So what we do is we, we gave, we give behavior based feedback mm -hmm. and, uh, I have my own mentor. We meet once a week and, uh, and there we basically talk about these things where, where my limits are. And in those discussions, we basically explore different ideas, how I could get better. And I think from that perspective, the short answer would be try to get a mentor, which could help you guide into that direction if you want to get into remote working and you think you don't have the skills that we just described that would be my answer mm -hmm. i know it's a bit vague <laughs> no that's okay um, then the next question is how do you get a mentor <laughs> <laughs> well uh, i think i think everybody can be a mentor i i don't think it requires really a lot of skills one of the things it might require is that We talked about that yesterday, but I'm, I'm going to repeat it, right? For the sake of the podcast mm -hmm. is that, um, I think you have to be able when you pick, basically you pick someone you trust or you have a tendency to trust because a men, a mentor mentee, uh, kind of relationship is all about trust because you, you tell that person things that are, that are sometimes really, really personal. Right. And that should never leave this trust relationship. Therefore, that's the, that's the thing. You have to trust the person. The other thing is that that person has to have a skill to basically listen to you 
um, take a step back and not fall into the solution mode. Mm-hmm. The, the, I would say that's, that's the most important thing. Trust and trusting the person and li- the person should have listening abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's a good point. Um, one thing I observed is people who uh, work remotely have um, very acute skills in listening and communicating. They're able to um, to communicate in a, in a different way than others. Have you seen this as well? Yes and no. <laughs> well, I, I think when you remote work, there is a lot of written communication happening in Slack, in Gmail, whatever mailing system you're going to use on GitHub issues or whatever issue tracker you will be using. And when you do remote working like we do, you also work with a lot of different people with different nationalities and cultural background. Mm -hmm. So from that perspective, people try to be aware of their communication and um, their expressions they're using. But of course, there is always basically a sender and a receiver, right? And, And I think in remote working especially, there are... Sometimes there is a problem. You don't know in what kind of mood the receiver is because that person is somewhere sitting on the other side of the planet in whatever mood that person currently is and receiving your communication that, and basically interpreting it in a different way. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think, especially written communication, there is a lot of things that can go wrong, especially with native Native American, uh, sort of American speak, speakers. Non, non-native speaker? Or... No, no, I think with, with native speakers native because speaker, they're yeah. much more aware of the nuances of the language. Oh, okay. Yeah. And if you're, if you have a, as a person a natural t- tendency to be like open, transparent and direct to someone else, that in combination with, let's say, a limited vocabulary in English mm-hmm. and a person on the receiver side being much more aware of the language, can sometimes turn into difficult situations. How, how do you get, or how do you at particular get out of this? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we're not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think what we try to do is we try to basically have a fe- feedback fostering process where we, we as early as possible, we approach each other. Um, for example, over Slack and. I, re- I can give you a, a concrete example. I mean, I've been, <clears throat> I was, I've been reading a GitHub issue and I've been um, emotional when I was reading it. And I was, I try, I tried to reflect about my own emotional state and basically, okay, how can you formulate it that it's, it's as neutral as possible? I formulated it, I sent it in, and someone approached me over Slack and said, hey, Daniel. Uh, I would like to give you some feedback. I was reading this, what you wrote, and I think it has a tendency to be, to be a slightly passive aggressive. Oh, right? okay. And I was, I was sitting there. I was like, Oh, wow. Okay. And then I jumped, we jumped on a zoom call, uh, face to face conversation. It's always better from that point in time to basically have a face, face to face conversation. And well, he gave me that feedback and we talked about it and I was able to basically tell him the background I was in. I said, look, uh, looking back at my emotional state, 
I can see that you could see it as passive aggressive, but this is what I went through from an emotional perspective and what I was thinking about when I was writing it, I was reading it multiple times. And that feedback fostering is really, really important. And he, he, for example, told me that, you know what? I see your point. Um, are you okay if I also show it to someone else mm-hmm. and get some other feedback? And I said, yes. And I, and I said, are you okay if I approach the person directly that I was basically sending that message to on that GitHub issue and talk to the, how he was perceived by that person? Mm-hmm. So we initiated, initiated a little feedback fostering initiative. That's gorgeous. Just based on that comment, right? That's cool. And that's not your chef or your boss. No, no, that's one of my coworkers. That's cool. That's, and this is, um, a usual way of doing things. Uh, Well, like, like I said, I wouldn't say usual because that would sound like we're already there. I think we are, we are, we are encouraging it. We are trying to have, um, things like cheat sheets or we're trying to point out good examples or Slight, slightly less good examples of conversations and interactions without being too personal. But still, it's, I think it's a long way to get there where I could say, yes, it's usual. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say it's usual. That's really cool. Um, that's something that, that's, that strikes me in what, everything you say. Um, you've been reflecting on your life a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, there is this, there is this whole thing called mindfulness, right? I wouldn't say I'm a, I'm a mindful person. What I try to reflect about is that uh, I try to be aware of myself. And I know that I'm, for example, sometimes really emotional. I, I'm sometimes emotional in the moment. And that means sometimes I explode, but I also cool down pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And based on those observations about myself, I learned over the past and I'm still learning to basically see the moment when it's before it's happening and see the tendency of me getting more and more emotional mm-hmm. and in the right point in time, basically say, you know, take a step back, step back, get outside, have a walk, come back or don't write an email just now. Mm-hmm. I just write it. Don't put the, uh, yes. the, uh, the sender and just leave it there, but, exactly. but write it first. <laughs> Yeah, I, I have this uh, this this tendency as well to be very emotional with stuff. Uh, when it goes to uh, to my work, I don't do my work because it's a work. I do it because it's my passion working in there. And uh, if somebody starts criticizing it, uh, sometimes just wow. And uh, and I I have to do the same thing. I'm doing a lot of meditation to just learn <laughs> to control myself and just go down. And uh, but this is really important. This also my mindfulness, as you say, that's it's wow. Yeah, but like like I said, I wouldn't say. Uh, I, I want to be honest. I mean, I, I, I can't say that I, I'm, I'm, or at least I wouldn't see myself as being mindful. I, I'm trying to get there at some point. I also tried meditation several times. And for me, it's a constant on off. Sometimes mm-hmm. I, I, I can co- regularly do it. And sometimes, yeah, I'm lazy. <laughs> we all are. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But, and there's no end point. I mean, uh, yes. It's a continuous process. Huh? Yes, exactly. Oh, that's cool. Um, in, 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 um, in Cologne, you, you spoke about, um, the, your company, how, how remote you are. And, um, one thing that struck me is everything is really, uh, collaborative. Even the, uh, the, uh, the, um, well, 
this feedback process, but also when you're working on a document that has nothing to do with uh, with software, it's also open for everyone. And you're building groups and and helping all um, each other all together. Um, when you are you, are you part of that um, and leading this and in, uh, in this um, uh, thoughts? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, leadership, etc. Yes, I mean, definitely one of the one of the most important parts of the culture is that everybody has to basically contribute to the whole company interaction and helping out each other. And I think, yes, I'm contributing by being aware of or trying to be aware of other people's needs, potential problems that they, they're facing, and also basically listening and um, providing help. For, it starts as simple as someone writes into Slack, Hey, I'm on primary call schedule this week and I would like to go out with my wife on Sunday. I know it was not planned, but is anyone help, um, willing to jump in? Right. And then sometimes say, okay, you know, now it doesn't fit, but next time I will. Or that, or say, well, actually it kind of fits nice on Sunday. And then I say, yeah, of course. Yeah. Just, just assign me to support. I will do it. Right. And by basically leading by these small examples, other people do it as well. Mm -hmm. And, and with that, you can nurturing a culture that I think tends to be just good. Mm -hmm. Um, how do you guys manage to hire people? <laughs> you, you have such, such a special, special culture and, and, um, quite, um, quite extensive, um, um, sets and skills you're looking for. Yeah. Hiring is, hiring is hard. I think it's, well, we go through a multi-step process. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, it's multiple interviews, four interviews right now. Um, it's, um, well, the first introduction about we present basically the company and the company structure and uh, the pros and the cons that we think the, the company structure has to basically also give the person that is applying a chance to, to think about, would that fit me? Right. Do I want to be challenged like that? Do I want to be constantly, uh, pushing myself? Mm -hmm. Right. Because it's not everybody's Indeed. type and that's totally okay. That's nothing negative, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe you just, something else is better for you and that's okay. And then we go through technical interviews, team interviews, and basically also coding. But we realize while we also focus on coding skills and technology skills, it's the whole, the whole set that needs to fit. It's not enough to be like a mastermind in, let's say, aisle code weaving or whatever we didn't need at the time. You also need to be, um, open about receiving feedback, open about giving feedback or improve yourself. And that's something we try to, to sense a little bit. And I think we are also lucky because Udi Dahan has a lot of background also in the, he reads a lot of books about mindfulness. He, he has some background in psychology and, and, and other things. So I think he is basically the last sensor in the company that would spot mm -hmm. things that have been falling through the crack in the previous interview. Okay. Yeah. But I think so far, we have found it out pretty, pretty early. It's hard to describe because 
God, if I would say it's God feeling, then it's, it might be, it has a negative notation as well because God feeling is. There's some biases. Yeah, exactly. I'm not sure if I can give you a good answer. That's, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. That sounds pretty sound already. Um, it's, it's kind of amazing how this uh, all works out. Um, what's, what's, um, what does the future look like for you? Do you have a, do you have a plan? <laughs> you did a lot of retrospective. Are you doing some, some kind of, uh, uh, not sure if it's a word, some future perspective or, um, forward thinking, um, Yeah, that's a classical hiring question, right? Yes, yeah. it is. <laughs> how do you see yourself in five, <laughs> How do you see yourself in the in the next five years? Um, I must say, and that that struck me several times in the past. I actually don't know, and sometimes it scares me because I feel. I mean, right now I feel challenged. Mm -hmm. I feel, I feel home, comfortable, but not like. In a good way, right? Not comfortable. Oh, I don't have to move or something like that. That's why I said, I said challenged first. And I don't know, really. It's like uh, whatever, whatever happens. And I think I could do this, the, the, the job I'm doing right now. I could do that for the next five years. That's cool. Uh, I can totally see myself doing that. What's after that? It's so hard to say because on, What I know for myself, and I think that's maybe something for your listeners as well, is by doing different things, I actually found out that I want to stay in touch with technology and programming. Mm -hmm. I don't want to become like a, let's say, solution architect that only draws boxes. Okay, that sounds like a negative thing. Sorry, I didn't want to say it that, that way. It's a, but I don't want to be the guy that only does architectural, high-level architecture stuff and sits in meetings, mm -hmm. that's also important. I'm not, I don't want to diminish that or anything, but I want to stay in touch with coding stuff and as long as I can. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so, so that means 60, 70% of my daily work, even if I'm doing conferences like this one, will still be engineering. And I love it. And I want to do what I love. It's one of one of my goals for my life. I always said, I want to get up in the morning and I want to say, I'm really looking forward to work. And I want to do that almost every day. Of course, sometimes for whatever reason, you had a hard weekend or whatever. But I mean, now the cool thing with my remote working flexibility, whenever... Whenever there is one of these rare moments where I think I'd better be staying home, I can actually do it mm -hmm. because I know I won't be, I won't have a good impact at that moment in time when I'm working. So I can just take off. Mm -hmm. I'm going to come back to, uh, to the word you said before. It's all about trust and the yes. company trusts you to do the best thing for the company or for you. And so, yes, that's, uh, that's the way it is. It yeah. Like that. That's cool. Exactly. And by having the feedback fostering or the sounding board in company, when I, when I would basically start showing a behavior of showing up, even though I'm actually not in the mood. And that is recognized a lot by my coworkers. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure that would point it out. Yeah. Sounds sort of like it. Yeah. Well, you, you found a nice sweet spot, I think. I think so as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. 
That's maybe a, a nice point to to wrap up. Yeah, cool. Did we miss something? We... No, no, I, I was, uh, well, one thing I wanted to say, thanks for having me on this podcast. It's an honor. You're very welcome. And, um, no, I think we, we covered all. Um, do you have something on your plate? Something coming up? Any other talk? Um, yeah, well, now I'm actually, I'm actually, I had a lot of talks in, in May and June. And now I'm, I'm looking forward for a period of, um, it's a calm. Uh -huh. So I'm I'm not giving talks until maybe mid-September. Mm -hmm. uh, and in October, I will be in Warsaw. So if people want to catch up with me mm -hmm. at the uh, .NET Developer Days in Warsaw, okay. giving cool. two talks, one about microservices with service fabric, the other one about the async await, mm -hmm. cool. some deep dive stuff. And I will be in Cologne again in Germany at the end, end of November, I think-ish. But that's so far pretty much it for this year. And yeah. That's and if, pretty cool. If people want to reach me, they can reach me on Twitter mm -hmm. under at Daniel Marbach. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if they can write it down. <laughs> I'll write it to the, write it to the show notes. Yeah. Or they can follow me on planet, planetgeek.ch where I write some articles about async and messaging and service fabric and yeah, random stuff that is at my mind. Uh, and I also blog on the particular.net slash blog sometimes. And yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Okay. Then thank you very much. It was a pleasure. And uh, we'll hit the, on the rest of the conference uh, yeah. by now. Thanks. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.